Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's do this. Let's go to John chapter 14. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself all of our sins and our diseases, by whose stripes we are healed. We thank you because you said, Lord, if two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you're there in the midst of them. So Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in our midst. We ask you to speak to us and to lead us and guide us. Lord, cause us to bear much fruit for your glory so that you may be glorified in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. He says, take heed to what you hear. You know, so it's very important that uh, that that we are choosy about what we hear and that we also actually give heed to what we hear. Amen? For the, me- the measure with which you meet, the, the measure with, with, by which you give, you know, is the measure by which it shall be given to you. So it also means that what you allow God to give, to do in your life, what you allow into your life, the word that you allow in your life, that's what will come out of you. That's the kind of fruit that will be in your life. So it's very important that we, that we, are choosy about what we hear, and then, you know, that's why I'm very choosy about the Word of God. I I, I want the Word of God. Now, of course, I'm not choosy within the Word. You know, some people have itching ears. They want to hear only about prosperity or only about the good stuff. No, when I'm saying choosy, I mean there's many things in the world to choose from. So I am choosy in the sense that I choose the Word of God because the Word of God has eternal consequences in our lives. All other things are temporal. You know, these, there are a lot of other things that don't really matter. They, they matter in the short terms, but they don't have eternal consequences. The only thing that really matters for eternity is the Bible and what the Bible says. So that has to be our priority over the newspaper, over the television, over everything because that is the one thing that has eternal consequences. And the measure with which we give ourselves to the word of God, the measure with which we let the word of God come into our hearts, that's the measure with which there will be fruit in our lives. Amen. Amen. So let's go to John chapter 14. And this evening, I want to talk to you about our helper. Our helper, and this is the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot to be said about the Holy Spirit. Now, there's... uh, Let's go to John 14. I mean, the Holy Spirit has been around since creation. Of course, he's, the, he's one of the three person of, persons of the Trinity. And the first time we read about the Holy Spirit is in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. It says the earth was without shape, without form. It was dark. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So the Holy Spirit was right there from the beginning. But if you go through the scriptures, there, the Holy Spirit is always there, but there's very little about him compared to how much there is of him in the New Testament. And then we come to John 14, and that's when Jesus begins to, he's nearing the end of his earthly ministry. And he is, he introduces us to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's always been there, but he is, introducing them to the Holy Spirit because it's like a relay, it's like a man in a relay race. He knows he's nearing the end of his lap and he's to hand over the baton to the next runner. And so that's what he's doing. John 14 is towards, towards the end of his ministry. He's nearing the end of his ministry. So now he begins to talk to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. Let's read from... John chapter 14, and I read to you from verse number 16. It says, but 
let's do this. Let's uh, read from verse number 15, actually, because it's very significant. And uh, actually, let's go to verse number 12 to understand even more, because all these things are tied together. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's awesome. Right? So what he's saying is, is that whoever believes in me, the things that I do, he shall do the same things. Right? And he shall do even greater things than these. Now, people ask me, what are the greater things? So, you know, people are always curious. What are the greater things? I said, are you doing the works of Jesus? No. So don't bother about the greater things. <laughs> you know, you, when you haven't even finished your kindergarten, you're already talking about getting a doctorate. I said, you know, learn your ABCs first. Do the works of Jesus first. And when you're through doing the works of Jesus, when you can say, I've done all the works of Jesus, then we can begin to talk about the greater things. But first, you know, I mean, look, I've been in the ministry this month. It'll be 43 years for me preaching the gospel. Have I done all the works of Jesus? No. I've seen most of the miracles uh, in the ministry of Jesus, but some things I've not seen. I've never walked on water. Well, I walked on a frozen river in, you know, up in the north of Sweden in the winter, but... I don't think that counts, you know, really. I mean, that would be cheating, you know. So if I said, I walked on water now, yeah, right. Well, I haven't done that. I have not multiplied bread and fish. I have not. Water into wine, I wouldn't even try because if I did that, the assemblies of God would pull my papers. So, I'm still busy trying to do the works of Jesus. Amen? That's what Jesus said to us. We'll do his works and then we'll do even greater works. Whatever they are, I don't know. But let's talk about this. It says, whoever believes in me steadfastly, I will do the works, the same works that I do and even greater works. And then it says, uh, and whatever, whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And here's the thing. Miracles, it's not about our ministry. It's about glorifying the Father in the Son. You know, some people, they want to see miracles so that they can have a big ministry. You know, I want to see miracles so, you know, if I have miracles, I'll have a big ministry. People will invite me to preach and, and, and then I'll be famous and then, you know, I'll drive a big car. You know, people are so stupid, they think that way. But, but it's, not, it's not about that. It's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's firstly, it's about the Father and the Son being glorified. And secondly, it's about the compassion of Jesus for the people. Miracles are about God and it's about people. And we are just the person who stands in the background. Now, we have a mailman. He comes and delivers the mail to us. And uh, people send money to our ministry. It's in the mail. I don't glorify the mailman for the money he brings in. For the checks. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Mailman. Thank you for supporting our ministry. He's just the delivery boy. Amen. We are just the mailman. We take something from God and we bring it to the people. Amen. Now, what does the mailman get? Well, at Christmas time, he gets a card and he gets a little gift from us. We give him 25 bucks and a, or a gift card and a thank you. And he's grateful for that. But that's the only thing he, he gets, you know. So sometimes people say, thank you, brother, for letting God use you in my life. And that, that's enough. That's enough. But, but all this is so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But then he said, then look what he says. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But this is tied to the next verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. All this works for us if we love Jesus. If you want to walk in the supernatural, walk in the miraculous, you want to be in that place where whatever you ask the Father for in the name of Jesus, it will be given to you. But that is only for those who love Jesus. 
We don't want to end up in that category in which we try to cast out devils and the devils talk back to us and say, Paul, I know, Peter, I know, who in the world are you? You know, we, we don't want to be in that category. It says, if you love me, this is for those who love Jesus. And, and what does it mean to love Jesus? To love Jesus means to keep his commandments. It's not an emotional love. You know, people say, oh, I love Jesus. I am so much in love with Jesus. And they feel that as long as, you know, there's good, Brother Steve is doing good with the praise and worship, and we feel that atmosphere, and we suddenly all love Jesus. But when the music stops, we go out to the real world, that love kind of flies out the window. It's not that kind of love. It's not an emotional love. It's a committed love. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like marriage. I love my wife. I've been married to her for 39 years. Right? You know, after some time, that feeling of, you know, that what do you call it? You fall in love with somebody. A lot of that changes over time. You go through stresses in life, but love is a, then becomes a commitment and not a feeling. But a lot of people, they are, they, they are for that feeling all the time. And then one day they wake up and look at the woman behind, beside them and they don't feel the same way. So they say, you know what? I've fallen out of love. I'm going to find somebody else. That's what a lot of people do. I met somebody else. Right? They met somebody else. The commitment just isn't there. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. And there's church people who do that, sad to say. Because they don't understand commitment. So love is a commitment. It's a commitment to do, to do the right thing. Amen. It's a commitment to the right thing. And some guys, have, you know, I had a guy tell me, my wife has put on weight. I said, Superman, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? <laughs> As you should be grateful she's sticking to you. If she applies the same standard, brother, you're in trouble. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? She's put on weight. What about you? You lost your hair. You put on weight. And you're talking about her. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a commitment. And that's why it is. We are committed to Jesus, to committed to obey his word, no matter what. You know, if you love me, you keep his commandment. And so there are commandments that I have decided to obey. The commandment to walk in faith. The commandment to forgive others, even when it's difficult. The commandment to love everybody. The commandment to preach the gospel. You know, the commandment to sacrifice, to tithe. I mean, there are so many commandments. You can look at It's all there. It's laid out in the book. So when I say, okay, I, Jesus, I want to obey your commandments. I want to walk in love. I want to walk in faith. I want to be a faithful person. I want to be a good friend to my, to my brothers in the church. I want to be a good son to my parents. I want to be a good spouse. I want to be a good father, a good mother. You know, all these things. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a giver. All those things. I want to be a servant. All these things are commandments. So when I choose to walk in these commandments, that is when all the other stuff will work for me. That I can do the works of Jesus and whatever I ask for uh, in prayer in the name of Jesus, he will do it for me so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We cannot separate miracles from obeying his commandments. All right? Now, then it says here, and I will pray the Father. That's also connected to this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit, love Jesus and obey his word, you cannot separate the Holy Spirit from obeying the word. We cannot do that. Do you understand what, what people, you know a lot of people, let, let me tell you where the church is headed this today. This is where the church is headed. 
Now, fortunately, you don't see it in third world countries, but in places like Australia and, 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 and Europe and America, the more advanced, more wealthy countries, this is the way the church is headed. People don't read their Bible anymore. They don't want to talk about do's and don'ts because there's so much of grace being preached, so everyone is afraid of being legalistic. You know, you tell somebody, brother, we must pray. Oh, you're being legalistic. We must go and win souls. Jesus told us, oh, that's been legalistic. Anytime you are told or exhorted to do anything, that's being legalistic. You kind of just go with the flow. In other words, you let the flesh rule. So people don't read their Bibles, okay? Most people, young people especially, they know only two things on the Bible, which they have been told. Firstly, we should love everybody. And secondly, we should not judge anybody. So you love everybody and you shouldn't judge. So if I say something is wrong, oh, that's been judgmental. You can't judge. Only God is the judge. We have to love everybody. No matter what people do, we have to love everybody. And God is the judge. So don't say this person's conduct is wrong because we have to love everybody and we shouldn't judge. But they want to experience Jesus. I've been in those places. They want, they genuinely, those young people, they want to, like I have a friend. His kids told me, they're, they, I mean, they're 25 and 20, 22 years old or something like that, and they genuinely love Jesus. But they've never been taught to read the Bible and live a life of devotion and prayer. They think they can be as they are and they can still love Jesus. They don't read their Bibles. They don't, they don't nothing about the Bible. So I went with them to church. And what they did was, you know, they dimmed the light and they had this beautiful music and they uh, had the smoke machine going. Everything. Now, I'm not against smoke machines and all that. I think it's great because before I was saved, I used to go disco dancing. We had smoke machines. I think they're great. <laughs> if you never did disco dancing with a smoke machine, you don't know what you have missed in life. <laughs> Okay, so I am for all those things. But the problem is that the whole idea is to create an atmosphere so that people feel something. The whole idea is for people to feel something. And all the songs, they, they don't like to sing about the blood. It's too gory. They don't want to sing about the blood they, they want to sing about love and grace and a lot of the songs are about me, you know, that how good I feel. And, 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 and so people, and then people say, you know, I felt the presence of God. Feeling good is not the same as feeling the presence. When you walk in faith, most of the time you don't feel a thing. When you're walking in faith, believe me, you don't feel a thing. When Jesus was fasting 40 days on the mountain and the devil, you know, came to him, the old slewfoot came to him quoting the scripture, how do you think he felt? How, how great do you think he felt? He's out in the desert, hasn't eaten or drunk for 40 days, and here's the devil in front of him quoting scripture. What did Jesus do? He didn't say, now, wait a minute, let me put my fog machine on. <laughs> He didn't do that. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. But what would he do if he said, I'm the son of God. I don't need this book. I don't need to know what is written because I am the living word. No. He spoke up. He said, it is written because he had studied the scripture. He being the living word of God had to study the word of God. How much more don't you think we need to do it? So we cannot, we cannot build our Christian experiences on creating a, 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 a and you know, like a, a, an aesthetically pleasing experience. So people feel good and they say, you know, uh, oh, and people say, oh, I love that church. I say, what do you like about it? Oh, I love their music. That's really the only thing they like about it. They like the music. It's like, you know, going to an experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You obey God. Then, then, 
I will send you another comforter. Hallelujah. The presence of the Holy Spirit has to do with these previous things about obeying God, about walking with him. So this is what he said. He says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. There are three things he says. He says, I will give you another comforter. And the word another means there is somebody else. What he's saying is that I'm going, but I'm going to tell the Father and he's going to give you somebody else, another in the sense not who is different to me, who is the same as I am. That's what he meant. Somebody just like me. And the fact he uses the word comforter, and the word comforter here, it doesn't really mean one who comforts you when you're sad. Of course, he does that also. But what it means is uh, an advocate. One who speaks on your behalf. A legal, one who gives you legal help. You're a, an intercessor. An intercessor doesn't really mean one who prays for you. An intercession, an intercessor is one who stands in the gap between God and man. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going, if you obey my commandments, if you love me, you keep my word, right? And what's happening now, I'm going to go to the Father and I will ask the Father and he will send you another comforter, somebody else who's just like me, but the difference between him and me is that he will be with you forever. I've been here for 33 years, but he will be here forever. He will not go away. He'll be with you. And he is your, he, he's your legal advisor. He is your advocate. When you go to a court, you normally have an advocate, an attorney. That's what it is. Advocate is another word for an attorney. And you just keep quiet. Let the attorney do the talking. He will get you off the hook. It's like O.J. Simpson's attorney. You can do anything. You walk away free. Hallelujah. No matter what I've done, I'm free because Jesus has paid the price. Because I've got the ultimate attorney. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I've messed up. But I got an attorney. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So I'm going to send you one who is going to be your legal helper. He's going to be your attorney. And he's going to stand in the gap for you. Hallelujah. He'll stand between you and God. And the best thing, he'll be with you forever. What else do you need in this life? Right? right. right? You got that working for you, you're going to succeed. It says, he will be with you forever. Then it says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. You see, the world cannot understand this Holy Spirit, this person, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the world cannot see him. The world says, seeing is believing. So the world cannot receive him, so don't try to, you know, that's why I never argue or discuss with non-Christians about the Holy Spirit because they wouldn't understand anyway. It is better that they saw the fruit of his presence in my life. That would speak volumes more than me trying to convince them about who they are because they wouldn't understand anyway. The world doesn't see him. Then he says, neither knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and shall be in you. Then he says, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. Amen. Let's go to John 16. Are you getting anything out of this? They say verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is expedient, that means it's necessary for you that I go away, for if I do not go away, the comforter, that means the, actually the word is uh, parakletes, parakletes in Greek is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, or the intercessor, the one who stands in the gap, the advocate. He will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Holy Spirit is going to come. Then it says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, etc., etc. Now, this is interesting because when the Holy Spirit comes, 
He is the one who is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Now, you know, here's the amazing thing. The gospel story is probably the simplest thing in the universe. Last, like last month when I was in India, I came, I was preaching in a place where there nobody, nobody had ever had a gospel outreach, outreach before. 99% of those people were not saved and nobody had ever done anything of that before. And I stand before those people and I thought, what do I do? So I know the secret. I preach Christ crucified. And you don't let your mind go and say, okay, fine, but would they really understand what I'm talking about? Because that's not the point. I've been a Christian 43, almost 44 years, been in the ministry for 43. Even I don't fully understand this concept of a man born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, crucified, bearing my sins and diseases. Then he dies and after three days, he rises from the dead. And he ascends to heaven. Now, does that make sense to the human mind? It does not. I don't understand, but I believe it. And that belief has been strengthened even more because over the years, I have seen evidences, signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, supernatural power that tell me that this story is true even if it is beyond the, the, how do you say, the power of the human intellect to understand it, right? So I know one thing that when I tell that story, when I stand before a crowd of sinners and I tell the story, what's going to happen is this is how it works. When I tell that story, the Holy Spirit comes to work and he is the one who convicts people and he moves in the crowd and the lame people walk, the blind people see, the deaf people hear and when I give the altar call, everybody wants to come running to the altar to get saved. Now how does that process work? I don't know. I just know that Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and when he comes, he will get to work. He's going to bring that conviction because nobody can be saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts him. Nobody gets saved because he intellectually grasps the gospel. The Holy Spirit has to be involved in the process and he has to bring conviction. Only then can people can be saved because conviction is a, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a deep, deep work in the heart of man that only God can do. Nobody can make it happen. That's why we must preach the gospel, the simple gospel. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to Romans 8. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit helps us. In Romans 8, we see the, how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. I'm going to show you a few scriptures. There's a lot more, but I'm just sharing the basics with you. 8.26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth us, helpeth our infirmities. That means the Holy Spirit, he helps us in our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What is he talking about? That, you know, when you pray, when you pray, when you give yourself to prayer. Here's a secret. You can make a prayer list. People do that. Sometimes I do that. And you go through the list. You start praying and you pray through your list. Then it takes about five minutes or ten minutes. You go to the bottom of the list. Right? You finish the list. But you feel the spirit of prayer is upon you. What do you do then? Because you have prayed through your prayer list and you don't know what else to pray. That's when the Holy Spirit kicks in because he knows. That's when you begin to pray in the spirit. You switch from praying in the understanding and you begin to pray in the spirit and you begin to pray in other tongues and you pray and pray and pray and pray. Now your mind doesn't understand but the Holy Spirit is involved in that. He is the one who leads your prayer. It's a spirit driven and spirit led prayer and you pray your way through until that burden of prayer is lifted. Amen? That is how, this is a sim simplistic way of explaining how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. That's why 
Praying in the Spirit is so important. That is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues are so important because the Holy Spirit actually helps us in our prayer life. Because there's a lot of things out there we don't know, we don't see, we don't understand with our minds. With the Holy Ghost, he knows everything. Hallelujah. He knows everything. So we pray in the Spirit. Amen? Now, let's, let's go to uh, Romans 8 verse 14. Romans 8 verse 14, it says here, it talks about how the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and empowers us. It says, for as many are led, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, you know, Abba is a Hebrew word, but Hebrew and Arabic are very similar. And in Arabic and Hebrew, we use the same word, Abba. And Abba actually means daddy. When I first became a Christian, began to read the Bible, and I read this word, I, I began to laugh. I, uh, somebody said, why are you laughing? I said, that's what I call my dad all my life. Abba! You know, we're in the bathroom, you're finished. Abba! And he comes running to clean you up, you know. Abba. When you, when you hurt, you say, Abba! You know, daddy. When you're happy, you say, Abba! It's the same way. It means daddy. It means dad. Amen? That's the, that's the affectionate word you call your father. And that, and it's not the word of the the use of the word Abba, because in English you don't say Abba, you say Dad. That's, you know, Abba is just the Arabic and the Hebrew equivalent of Daddy. So when people say, you know, people pray in English and they say, Oh, Abba, Father, you know, that's, that's like religious. So instead of Father, say Dad. It indicates intimacy, you know. I mean, my father, I never called him father. I always called him dad. Amen? Except when I became an army officer, he was the general, then I used to salute him and call him sir. Because he liked it that way. But before that, it was always dad. Amen? So, we have been adopted. We have been brought into the family of God. And God is our daddy. You know, there's something interesting about adoption laws. Uh, a father, this, this is the law. A father can disown a son. You know, if, if you have a son and, and he he's, goes against you, you can actually disown your son and go through a legal process. But you can never do that to an adopted son. You can never disown an adopted son because you adopted him by choice. It was your decision. So that's, that's the spirit of adoption. So we are adopted into the family of God. Hallelujah. God has adopted us. Amen. So we, we you know, we, we call God our daddy, Abba. That's totally natural to us. So we have the spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit is, is part of that. It says because we are led by the spirit of God, we are sons of God. And the Holy Spirit is, is the spirit of adoption. We have not received the spirit of bondage into fear. There's a spirit of bondage which gives us fear. And that is the fear of approaching God. The fear of, that makes us think that I'm not worthy. God will not give me what my heart desires. Because God looks at me and I'm unworthy. But no, we have received the spirit of adoption. Amen. Now I have three children, they're grown up now. But they can walk into my house and they can go into the fridge and eat anything they like. They don't have to ask me. Isn't that true? They do it anyway because it's their home. I'm their daddy. And I don't mind if they eat my food. Because that is the nature of the relationship. So 
through the Holy Spirit, we receive. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. And when we are full of the Holy Spirit, we enter into this intimacy with the Father that we can call him Daddy. Free from fear. We can walk in the presence of God totally free from fear, knowing that he loves us, knowing that the Father's house is our home and, and, and we can be there and we can just take whatever you like, it's ours. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of adoption. Now, let's go to John 16, verse 13. John 16, verse 13. Now, these are things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. All these scriptures from John. John 16, verse 13 says, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak, for he will show you things to come. That means the Holy Spirit will not make up stuff and tell you, but he will take what the Father is saying, and he will make it known unto you. God's will, God's purposes, etc., etc., And he will show you things to come. He will forewarn you. He will lead you beforehand. Then he says, he shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. And I, I always emphasize this. You know, the Holy Spirit never came to glorify a preacher, a minister, or a church. The Holy Spirit came only to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus. Anything that does not point to Jesus can lead you to deception. Even if it appears good at face value. If it does not point to Jesus, if it does not glorify Jesus, it can lead you to deception. He will glorify me. For he shall take that which is mine. And it says, and make it known unto you. For he shall receive of mine, he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I, that he will take of mine and he shall show it unto you. That means the Holy Spirit will take that which is of the Father and give it to us. He's the one who brings the things of the Father and makes them known to us. He's the one who brings miracles from God. He's the one who brings revelation from God. He's the one who gives us an understanding of the word of God. Hallelujah. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to John 14, verse 26. But the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, some people use this and say, well, that's why we don't need teachers, we don't need pastors anymore, the Holy Ghost teaches me. That is nonsense. The Holy Spirit uses pastors to teach you. He speaks to you also as you study the word, but he uses your pastors to teach you. He uses those Bible teachers to teach you. So to say that you don't need the local church, you don't need pastors because I got the Holy Spirit, that is, and you know, I got everything I need. That, I mean, that, that is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard. You can't say that. You can't isolate yourself and say, you know, I don't need anyone to teach me because I've got the Holy Spirit, he teaches me all things. You, you can't do that. Because, you see, scripture has to interpret scripture because in, in Ephesians 5, it says he gave some. He gave gifts to the church and he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to edify, to bring, to build up the body of Christ. So God gave us the gifts and the gifts are, I mean, not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they're ministry gifts. You know, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, these are gifts that God has given us to the church. Amen. So that's why we need them. 
We can't say, well, we got the Holy Spirit, so we don't need this, and we don't need the church. By the way, I don't need you to tell me this either. I already know everything. That, that is dumb. That is spiritual pride at its worst. You know, we, we need the five-fold ministry gifts, and we need the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we need everything the Holy Spirit does, and all these things work in harmony to build us up, to make us what God wants to make us. Amen. So he says, he will teach you, uh, in verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit will teach us all things, he will teach us all things that are in the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when I talk about the Holy Spirit brings revelation, actually, this is something I learned at Rhema, that the correct word is not revelation, but it's illumination. Revelation is really, technically speaking, the theological term revelation means something which is not known, and it's not there, it's not written anywhere, and God brings it to you, and that's revelation. Illumination means when God takes something which is already in the word, it's unknown to you, but he takes it and he opens up your heart so suddenly you see something in the word that you have never seen before. Now, it's not revelation because it's not new. It has always been there, but it's new for you. It's new for you in your experience, but it has always been there. So when we talk about revelation knowledge, of course, we, it's, a, it's a term that is used, but we mean illumination. That, so it means when the Holy Spirit will teach you, it isn't that he will bring you like Joseph Smith. He saw those golden plates from heaven, you know, and it's not even in the Bible. And you say, well, God showed me stuff. No, it will always be from the word. When God will teach you stuff, it's stuff that you need to learn, which is in the word, but it has been hidden from you. For whatever reason, I don't know, but the Holy Spirit will come in and he will take those things that are already written there and he will, and you'll say, wow, I learned something. Now it has been there all the time. The thing is that you haven't seen it. And I've been a Christian all these years. I'm still seeing things that are new. It's a lifelong process. You will always be learning. As long as you keep your heart open, you read that book, there is, doesn't matter how many times you have followed the Bible plan or reading the, through the Bible every year, you will still be learning stuff. Amen. Now, the next is Acts 1.8. Acts 1, verse, verse 8. Now, these are the basic Keys of the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. And the Greek word there is dynamis, which is miracle working power. The ability and the power of God. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses for Jesus both in our hometown and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Wherever we go, we can be witnesses for Jesus and a witness is somebody who can give evidence in court. A witness isn't somebody who read some, about something in a newspaper. You know, you read about a crime in, uh, in a newspaper and you say, I'm a witness because I know all the facts I read about it in the newspaper. No, a witness is somebody who has actually seen something. And we have experienced that Jesus Christ, he is not dead, but he is alive. And we can give testimony of the fact that Jesus is alive through signs, wonders, miracles, through gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're able to do that. And that is what makes us witnesses. That's what makes us witnesses. That's why we can go to places, my team and I, where the gospel has not been preached. Like uh, last year, we decided to target the Muslim areas of Mozambique. I mean, we went there. And was all Muslim. Nobody had heard about Jesus. And we said that let's go in and preach the gospel because 
doesn't matter how difficult it is, somebody has to tell them, so why not me, you know? So he went there and we began to preach the gospel. And as we preached, it was a simple gospel message that Jesus Christ died for you and me and he bore our sins. He died upon the cross and he was buried and he was raised up on the third day and he's alive today. And if you surrender your life to him, your sins will be forgiven. And God began to do miracles. And when the miracles began to happen, that was the proof that they needed that the Jesus this guy is talking about is actually real. If you remember in, in Mark chapter 5 when the man was lowered through the roof, remember that? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were thinking, who is he to forgive sins? And Jesus, they didn't say it aloud, but he, he knew what they thought. He says, now I want to show you that the son of man has power on earth to forgive them. He said, which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, rise up and walk? He said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, I say unto you, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And the man rose up and took up the bed and walked. So when the man rose up, took up his bed and walked, when that paralyzed person walked, that was the proof that the people needed to see that, yes, Jesus truly is the one who forgives sins. So in that sense, we are witnesses for Jesus. We testify, we give proof, and we give evidence to the people that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive today. And he can forgive sins, he can heal the sick, he can set you free, he can do anything because he is alive, of course. A dead Jesus can do nothing. A dead Jesus can do nothing, but a living Jesus can do the same things that he did 2,000 years ago. And that is the fact of which we are witnesses. That is what we testify and witness, that this Jesus, who you Muslims think was just a prophet. Muslims believe Jesus was the greatest of all prophets. The Hindus believe he was one of the gods. The Jews believe he was one of those false teachers that Judaism has had over thousands of years. Everybody has a different opinion. And many churches believe, yes, Jesus is the son of God. He died for our sins, but he doesn't really do what he did in the days of the Bible, you know, but he's the savior. Everybody has a different opinion, but we believe that Jesus Christ is a savior. He's a miracle worker and he's not dead and he's alive today. And you know what? He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And what he did for people in those days, he can do the same things for today. And people are looking for proof. How do you prove that? That's pretty bold claim to make, especially to say he's the only way to God. There's no other ways to God, especially living in a world where everybody says there's many different ways to God. We say he's the only way to God. How do you give that proof? And that proof comes when the deaf begin to hear, the blind begin to see, the lame begin to walk. Then people know that truly Jesus is the Savior. That's why he says, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that was their hometown. Judea was the largest, larger geographical territory. That was their homeland. And in Samaria, that was where the foreigners lived who had another religion and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have received power. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power to prove to people that Jesus is alive in the very uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. You know, I went to Irian Jaya. I think I told the story. I went to Irian Jaya in Indonesia. The pastors told me, that is the ends of the earth. The final frontier. There's no roads there. We flew in there. And he said, people there walk around naked. I didn't believe them. They said, they're cannibals. I thought, cannibals? I don't want to get eaten. They said, don't worry, pastor. They prefer to eat white people. I said, wow, that's awesome. I thought pork was the only other white meat. They prefer white meat. 
And they said they walk around naked. I couldn't believe it. I went in there. I was standing in the little hut, you know, at the airport airstrip with the receiver luggage. In walks a man, stark naked. Stark naked. Now, I don't want you to let your mind go there, but. <laughs> and he was wearing absolutely nothing except for a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses and a New York Yankees baseball cap. And I thought, American culture has been to places where the gospel has never reached. Do you understand? Have I told you the story before? I have a picture, but I won't put it on the screen. <laughs> I have four guys stark naked and me standing there, put it on Facebook with a caption, I'm the one with the pants, you know. <laughs> In fact, I'm going back there this year. The pastor said, you want to go back there? I said, I'd love to go back there. And when I stood with those people were savages. They came stark naked. I, I went to the village and, you know, picture. And when I, I want to take some pictures with you, they said, wait, wait, wait. And they brought this thing, this shriveled up thing, looked like a human shape, like a midget, with his mouth wide open. And, you know, it was a mummified, one of their elders who had died 350 years ago. And they put that between, right next to me, so we could pose with that dead So you can imagine these people who live like that. But even in places like that, the light must shine. Even in places like that, the light of the gospel must shine. He says, the Bible says the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. We must preach the gospel and give evidence to the people that Jesus is alive. But you know, when you, many of those places they go to, they believe in spirits, they believe in witchcraft, and the real manifestations of the devil. But one thing I tell you, our God is bigger than their demons. Amen. Hallelujah. Our God is bigger than their devils. Hallelujah. Now, let me end this with four things that are important. If you want to walk with the Holy Ghost, want to full of the power of the Holy Ghost. Number one, stay with the word. Don't get goofy with the Holy Ghost. Oh, the Holy Ghost. Brother Christopher came, talk about the Holy Ghost. Ooh, glory, you know. No, don't, don't be like that. Stay with the word. That's how you stay grounded. And everything, anything you ever hear or you think or anything crosses your mind and you wonder whether is this the Holy Ghost or is this just me? Go to the Bible. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, it wasn't the Holy Ghost. Okay? Stay with the word. The word is the only sure yardstick. Always stay with the word. When you get, you know, because even the devil comes as an angel of light. People can be easily deceived. We are all gullible at different levels. So, walk when you begin to walk in that world of the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues and you want to hear things from God and you want God to show you things and all those things when you, you know, that's a totally new world, you know, you want to kind of navigate your way around that world, oh, I heard this from God, this is what God showed me and God gave me a word of knowledge and you're walking in Walmart, you see this lady and God tells you some things about her. And, and you say, wow, I got this. And I talked to the lady and it was right. You know, you begin to walk in that world. It's good that you, you begin to walk in that world. It's good that you're in the word. Then you will never be deceived. Never. If you stay in the word, you will never be deceived. That's the first thing. If you want to walk in the world of the Holy Spirit, stay with the word. In fact, be even more deeper Rooted and grounded in the word than you have ever been before. Number two, keep a pure and uncluttered mind. Keep a pure and uncluttered mind. When uh, many, many years ago, before I got saved, after I left the army, I wanted to be a, a radio officer in the merchant marine. It's a it's a profession that is defunct. It doesn't exist anymore because now they have GPS and all that. But a radio officer, he handled all the radio communication and radar and all that on board ships. After the sinking of the Titanic, every 
they passed a maritime law that every ship had to have a radio officer on watch 24 hours. So I trained to be a radio officer. And the thing was that, that you, you communicate by radio and mostly by Morse code. I learned to receive and read and send, you know, 24 words a minute you had to learn minimum. And you know, it, it, just, it just goes like a second nature. You know, you, you learn to. But what happens is that when you are sitting in, your, in, your, uh, in the radio room, right? And you, uh, and there is, uh, I don't know, I mean, those of you who are old enough, uh, young people wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Those of us older ones, we listened to a lot in the radio. Remember, there was a time, and when you were tuning through the radio, there was a lot of Morse code traffic, remember? You'd go through radio and you'd, you know, all this, like there'd be 30 different signals coming, and it's all Morse code. It didn't make any sense to you, but it was Morse code. It was a series of dots and dashes, very fast, and then you sweep the and you know, and, and there's different signals. It doesn't make sense to you. But to the person who is listening, he can read what they're actually saying. And a ship speaking to each other, and ships speaking to shore stations, and they call each other by their call sign and all that, and, and no. But what happened, when you're on a ship, and you've got like 30 or 50 different signals coming, one of them is talking to you. So you got to fine tune until you find the code that is for you, your frequency. And they'll tell you on what frequency you can be, you know, you tell everybody, I'm on this frequency. And they will tune into your frequency. And then, and then you fine tune, because in that frequency there can be five people, five different ships talking. You fine tune, and then you, then you, you, you hear only that stream of code coming through because that's talking to you. So my point is, we live in a world there where, I mean, everything is so cluttered. You know, you got the internet, you got the magazines, and you got people talking about politics and in the news, and you, you sit in front of TV, you got Fox News, you got CNN, and they all say the opposite. And, and, and you know, and after some time, you go crazy. Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? And, 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 and all that. And then some people say, okay, I will listen only to this. You listen to this, then you miss out. Sometimes they are lying to you. And, 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 and you don't know. And so you, you live in a, and your mind is cluttered. This cluttered by economics, by politics. This, there's so much of news, information, what's going on, and there's sports, and there's hunting, there's fishing. So what happens, uh, normally these things, they're not, they're not bad things per se, but it's just that our minds are cluttered. And when our minds are cluttered, it's very hard to hear from the Holy Spirit. There's 30 voices speaking to you and one of them is the Holy Ghost and you don't know which one is which. You don't know. Sometimes people say, you know, brother, I heard something but I don't know whether it was me or whether it's the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. They don't know whether it's the devil, it's God or it's just them. Right? So that's why one of the ways you fine tune yourself is to unclutter your mind. That's a conscious decision we have to make to get certain things out of our lives, certain sources of information out of our minds that are pure junk. And I'm not going to tell you what is garbage or junk in your life, but I know what it is in my life, and I just have to clear those things out. I just have to clear these things out. That's why I'm very selective about what I read and selective about what I watch on TV. That's one thing. Second thing, I will not read or listen to anything on the TV or radio where it's a character assassination of another human being. Doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. I don't want, it may be true, but I don't, want, I don't want that kind of truth. You understand what I'm saying? If someone is performing a character assassination of somebody else, I'm sorry, it may be true, but I can't afford to have it in my life because I've got other things more important to focus on, and I don't, you know, you can't clutter your mind with too much information. We live in a world, there's so much of information on the internet. I mean, there's advertisement. There's, I mean, it's crazy. It wasn't like that when I was a kid. So, you've got to unclutter your mind. You've got to choose 
a few things that you will read, that you will listen to, that you will give your mind and your eyes to. Because that's why the Bible says, take heed what you hear. Right? You don't need to know everything that goes on out there. Most of the stuff, it has no consequence for you. The only thing it does, it clutters up your mind. It's in your mind. That's the, to unclutter your mind, firstly, you have to be selective about what you will allow into your life. That's the first thing. The second thing to unclutter your life, pray a lot in tongues. Pray in the spirit. Because praying in the spirit, it, uh, it desensitizes your flesh and makes your spirit more sensitive. When your flesh is very sensitive, it picks up everything, but your spirit is insensitive. But when you make your spirit more sensitive and you desensitize your flesh, so because you have tuned certain things out of your life, when people talk about those things, they don't affect you because you don't really know what they're talking about. And so, <laughs> but you're sensitive to the spirit because you pray a lot in tongues because when you pray in tongues, you make your spirit man more sensitive than your soul man. Are you with me? And so when your spirit man is more sensitive, that's when, when the Holy Spirit, he, he kind of nudges you. He tells you, son, I want you to do this. Then you'll know, wow, the Holy Spirit said this to me. Amen. I'm going to obey him. Right? So when you spend a lot of time in praying in the spirit, praying in the tongues, under the shower, in the car, praying in tongues, you know. You don't have to close your eyes with your hands in the air when you're driving your car, you know. You can keep your eyes open, drive, just pray in tongues, just pray in the spirit, you know, just pray in the spirit. You do that, make it a habit, just speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost. It'll make your spirit man more sensitive and that's when God speaks to you. And that's when, uh, but God is always speaking to you. But when your spirit man isn't sensitive, the problem is that he's speaking to you. But there's so many different signals in your radio waves, you're not hearing it. But when your spirit is sensitive, you hear it. It comes to you, then you can obey God, and then comes the next point. The next point is always be quick to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will test your obedience. There's a school of obedience. He'll tell you to give 100 bucks to somebody to bless them. Do it quickly. Amen? He'll tell you to buy groceries for a lady who lives next door. You just do it. You don't have to know her situation. Just do it. You're in a restaurant. God tells you to pay somebody else's bill, you know, across. Just do it. Just do it. That's the school of obedience. We, and uh, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason why God wants us to do certain things except that he wants us to obey him. And when we obey God, then God sees that, okay, we walk in obedience. Now, sometimes you miss it. You're wrong. But that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes even if you miss God, but at least you obey. God sees your heart. And so you obey God and as you obey God, then God will begin to entrust you with bigger things. If you obey God in smaller things, then you can obey God in bigger things. Amen? So people say, well, I want to be the guy who walks into Walmart, into the Walmart and he sees this man on a wheelchair and God tells me to to go and say to him, rise up and walk, and he gets up and walk, and there's revival in the Walmart. I want to be that guy. Yes, you can be that guy. If you be that guy who obeys when God tells him to give $100 to that person. You can be this if you be that. But nobody wants to be that guy. Everybody wants to be the miracle, the people picking up wheelchairs, you know. But that's where it begins, amen? So, it's a, so speaking in tongues, you know, you love Jesus and you obey the word of God and walk in his word and, and all the things that the word, obeying the word entails. That's walking in love and walking in forgiveness and, you know, obeying God and being a tither and serving people and serving God and being a worshiper. Just, you know, that's what I call the normal Christian life, doing, living the normal Christian life, a life of devotion, life of worship, a life of service, a life of obedience, those things. And... Uh, that's when the gifts of the Spirit come in and you begin to flow in the gifts and 
and you pray Lord in tongues just pray in tongues pray in tongues pray in tongues and that's you know and pray in tongues God begins to speak to you you check everything according to the word by the word and you're obedient to the Holy Spirit and that's the beginning of our journey hallelujah At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.